Thanks, David. So uh, has God not uh, served up an amazing um, weekend of weather for us for, for Easter? Um, so we were, I, I hiked with my wife up uh, Pina Adobe, the big hill and the tower, and it's just, you know, watching the hills explode with life. Um, I just, I had this verse in my head from Psalm 8, just said, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I was just like, wow, served up Easter in a very good way that pairs with uh, with a, a celebration of, of Jesus' resurrection. Um, I, I too want to welcome you, um, if you're a Parkway family, um, it's great to be together on this uh, very special celebratory day, um, that kind of the central day of the Christian calendar. And uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time or the fifth time, I'm g- glad you're here. And and even if someone drug you here, a mom or a brother or a friend, and we're glad you're here too. Um, you never know, God may surprise you this morning in a way that you don't expect. Um, we have been praying for this day uh, because we believe it's an important day um, for God's voice and what he has done in human history to secure um, our eternal hope in life. And we just want you to, to, to hear it and, and to celebrate in it. Um, for those who don't know, I'm, I'm Dan Deckard, and I'm the primary teaching pastor here at Parkway Community Church. And it's my undeserved privilege to draw your attention to the scripture this morning that, that declares to us the resurrection of Jesus. Now, just, um, just to set the stage, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, uh, church, then Christianity would not exist. In fact, it's hard to, um, to explain why Christianity exists apart from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, because his first followers gave their lives in some rather brutal ways, um, believing in the truth of his resurrection, that it is is central to history, it's central to God's work, it's central um, to God's creation and the new creation yet to come. It all comes down to this day, it all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus um, from the dead. And I want to tell the old story um, over again, you know, the story of, of Jesus' death and resurrection is a story that has changed people's lives for thousands of years um, in, in a very, very real and concrete ways. And I know a, a lot of you out there have your own stories, and um, they're all unique. Uh, you have different pasts, uh, different influences in your life, some positive, some negative choices that you've made that have been good, other choices you've made that have been um, not so good. And as a result, you, you have this story, and most of the stories that I know, including my own, is, is somewhat uh, crooked. And, uh, and yet to see how God intersects with that story and changes the story of our lives through the, through the message of the cross and, and to, more to today, to the, to the resurrection. I know my story. Um, uh, some of my friends know it, and some of you who have been near Parkway um, a long time know it. But, you know, there was a definitive um, uh, pivotal point in my life um, Sometime either 16th or 17th year. I remember that because I was driving a car when it happened. And I just want to share that with you because you're going to hear some stories this morning that are very real. And they testify to the, to the saving, transforming, uh, changing power of God in a person's life and the, the power of the story. So it was 16, 17. Again, I don't remember exactly what the, what the year was, but I was driving my, my parents' car at night. It was, it was dark. They live in the country, still live in the country, so they're dark roads. And uh, my best friend, Wally, was sitting in the, Wally, just like I'm, uh, you know, leave it to beaver, <laughs> sitting in the passenger seat, and, uh, and we were driving along, and we, we came up on this, uh, I think it was a Toyota truck, and had a camper in the back, and um, he was going a little slower than I liked. You know, being a punk I was, I started to flash my lights, right? If you drive a car and you're in your teens, and even if you're not in your teens, don't do that, all right? Um, and my, my buddy Wally, who's a little bit more adventurous than I, decided he'd take out his Q-beam, 
You know what a cube beam is? It's like this, this really powerful light. It was, I think, a million candlewatt power that plugs into your lighter. And he turned that thing on, shining it in this guy's car. And we're just driving along, right? Thinking, 16, 17-year-old macho guys. And uh, anyway, this guy slowed down his car, and we sped him, sped around him um, with some attitude, you know, and he started to chase me. And um, mind you, we were going up Taylor Road, is to remember the road and the place, and I, I was driving my parents' gutless wonder. It was a, it was a, a 1984 Chrysler LeBaron that talked to you, right? Um, four banger, and, uh, and it, uh, it told, told you when your lights were on, and it says, your door is ajar if you, you know, left it open. And uh, anyway, we got to the top of the hill, and he managed to get it past me, and he, he cut in front of me, and another car pulled behind me. And I was completely stuck. I couldn't go forward, and I couldn't go, go backward. And mind you, back then, I don't know, I might have been 5'6". I was maybe a buck 20, which means 120 pounds, and that's sopping wet, carrying a big Bible, and with fishing weights in my pockets. I was just a real twig. I shouldn't have been flashing my lights at anybody. But at this moment, so, so this guy gets out of this truck, and I, at this point, I don't even see the guy, and I'm already afraid. Adrenaline's pumping. And he gets out of the car, and, and he's a stocky, um, scruffy, um, scary-looking guy. It's like, a, like some kind of cross between Grizzly Adams and, and Quentin Tarantino, if you know those two. That's kind of a scary. And, um, and he, he, he came out with a tire iron. He ran up to the car. And I was just, I rolled up the windows, and we locked all the car doors, and um, and uh, my sister was in the car, too, and she's saying, my brother's going to kick your, you know. And I'm just like, shut up and don't do me any favors, you know. This little buck 20 wet is not going to do anything. And at that moment, he's screaming at me, telling me to get my blankety-blank, you know, nice colorful adjectives that English teachers love to see in papers, uh, calling me outside. And I know if I open this door, he's going to beat me senseless. And at that moment, I was so afraid. Um, I... It's, I think I was the mo- most afraid in that moment than I've ever been in my, my entire life. And I really felt like uh, this could be, you know, overly scared. I thought, this is it, right? I was so stupid to provoke this guy. And uh, providentially, the Lord was still there, still caring for me in my utter foolishness. And, and we happened to be at a, at a quasi-public um, t- intersection. So um, someone came up behind and said, hey, we're going to call the cops. And so it scared the guy off. And um, quite literally, after that event, I, um, I remember looking at my skin, and I broke out into hives. Um, I was so scared, and I felt so helpless and so threatened. And that moment in my life turned me in a particular direction uh, where I, I resolved in my own soul. And I don't know that I was super um, self-conscious of it, but I know inside me something changed, and I decided that I was not going to be in that place ever again, and I was not going to be helpless I was not going to feel like a victim, and next time someone did that to me, I was going to manage the situation. Right about that time, a movie came out, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> I do not endorse any part of this, either the movie or this introduction, as you should ever try this, because you shouldn't. If anything, it, it kind of testifies the opposite direction. But there on the screen, Mel Gibson, stud muffin, right? Um, manages every situation, not afraid of anything, and he... he he was the image of what I wanted to become. He, he, he became like the, the form that I wanted to fill, you know? And that led to a whole series of decisions in my life um, to 
feel uh, my own sense of security, to be able to control my situations. And, and, um, and that led into a choice to go into the military and, and excessive exercise and other things that were expensive and, and so forth to acquire certain things. And, and, and that's, that was the direction of my life. And, and in, in, in all actuality, what I was trying to do was I was, I was really attempting to become the hero of my own story, right? I just, I wanted to manage and control the world in, in which I lived. I was attempting to become the hero of my own story. Meanwhile, I still had this belief in the Bible, as a lot of people do, and, and I'd read it. And, and there was this growing struggle, this growing animosity within me because what I was reading in the scripture and the approach of my life were so different and it, I came to this place where there was this verse, I still remember, uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 5. is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And, um, and I came to this verse where it says, and just listen to this closely. I wish I had it on the screen behind me because then you could see it. But it says, um, thus says the Lord. In other words, these are God's words. Cursed, not a good word. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Then the next part says, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And that verse was like a, like a bullet, like into my heart. Not, not to kill me, but to break something in me and cause me to think. And um, that verse, cursed, um, is the one who trusts in man, whether it's other men or whether it's trusting in your own flesh or strength or ability, whether that's um, physical strength or maybe it's ability to manipulate money or, or whatever it is that, that people try to control to make their life satisfied and, and peaceful. Um, I realize that it says that I'm cursed if I do that. And if you do, if I do trust in this, which I was doing, trying to become Mel Gibson, um, then in fact your heart turns away from the Lord. And that's like what, what that verse said is that you can't trust in both things. And it's, it's like the voice of God was speaking to me and asking me the question. He's like, listen, you can't have it both ways, Dan. You can't say that you trust in me and yet try to control your own world and be the hero of your own story. It's incompatible. And I'll, it wasn't like it was a momentary, wow, I have a big, huge change in a moment. It was a wrestling. Because to give up control over what you can manage to make, to make you feel secure, to make you feel, I don't know, like you've arrived which, by the way, was, was like chasing wind. Um, to trust in that and to trust in me is, is, is completely uh, contradictory. And I remember thinking, I've got to be able to do both. I can manage my world. I can control my world. I can, I can feel secure. And meanwhile, I can say that I trust in you. And he's like, no. Nope. That was a pivotal point where God addressed me in a, in a time when I was walking in a direction that was very different, trying to be the hero of my own story. Well, there's a story the story that we celebrate this morning, that there's a story that changes stories. Um, and it's the grand story, right? And in the Bible, if, if, if you're not familiar, that familiar with it, and I said this last week and I mean it, like a lot of people think this is a health, self-help book. It's a, it's a book of instructions to get your life right. Um, it has instructions, no question, but it is not a self-help book. Um, it is a hero story. It's the hero story in which... Above all else, God is seen as the hero who, who rescues us, not, our, not us rescuing ourselves. And he does that, like, 
proves himself on the battlefield in a, in a definitive, crucial, central way by coming himself in the person of Jesus Christ and offering his life as a payment for sin and then rising to, uh, to overcome death. And those, those are the deepest needs of humanity, regardless of what, what, um, what the culture says. Uh, our, our deepest needs are not environmental, ecological, psychological, ed, uh, educational, or political. There's something much deeper that, that, that contaminates all that, and that's the, the heart of a sinful person that's in every one of us, including myself. And then there's that thing called death that every one of us knows, at least intellectually, our number is going to come up. And God came in the central hero to deliver us from those things, and not just deliver us in, from those things in terms of the past and the future, but also by, by doing so, he becomes our shepherd, and he becomes the one who sustains and guides and, and walks with us through life, guarding us and protecting us. That's the hero story of the Bible. And the centerpiece of where God proves his heroship for us is Good Friday, where he gave his life in place of ours. He took the punishment we deserved um, for our sin. But then he rose on Sunday, which is, which is resurrection. It's Easter. It's, it's the first time that someone beat, conquered, overcame this uh, universal enemy called, called death. And, and that's the text I want to just read you to you uh, in, a, in Luke's version. Uh, just so you see the words. And then I just want to, like, uh, I want you to be aware that there's doubt. If you have doubts about the resurrection, there were doubts back then. But I also want you to see that the center of the story, of course, is Jesus. and He's the hero. And then, and then how, how grace um, helps us to believe that story. Like, doubts. Um, you're going to see doubt in this opening section. This is chapter 24 of Luke. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, now, they came back again because in haste they couldn't fully care for Jesus' body um, on Friday when he died. So they come back to finish the job. Verse 2. And they found the stone rolled, uh, 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 rolled away from the tomb. But when they, they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. It's the first proclamation of the gospel that Christ is risen. Remember how he told you while he was in, still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into, into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. That is the other eleven disciples. Judas has committed suicide at this point, And to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is a group of, of, of women, probably the most devout followers of Jesus. They didn't abandon him like his disciples did. Um, something to be said for the Gospels that elevate um, the importance of women in Jesus' ministry at a time when which, and culturally speaking, they weren't so valued. But as a group of women, they're the first to receive the good news by, by some reliable sources. Two angels says, listen, he's risen, just like he said he was going to. And uh, these group of mourning, uh, lamenting women, you can imagine the sense of, of joy because they loved him, his, his real person to them. Um, they come back to the apostles 
you know, the mighty apostles in the New Testament. And um, they say, hey, listen, this is, what, this is what we saw. We saw an empty tomb, and we received a message that he's no longer in the tomb. He's risen. And it's interesting, the response of, of the apostles, and this, this had to be a humbling thing to admit later on, is they considered these things to be idle tales, an idle tale. This is doubt, right? And we think that skepticism about um, the resurrection is a 21st or 20th century thing, post-Darwin, right? But, you know, there was skepticism all the way back to the, 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 the Easter day. The apostles are like, this seems like a, an idle tale to us. They didn't believe it. It's an interesting thing about how thick-headed we can be, especially us guys. Um, stubborn to change our minds about things. I'm speaking for myself, but I know some of my buddies out there, and you're just as stubborn as I am. And uh, for that truth to get through, and and yet I think kind of comically and maybe a bit ironically, um, it's interesting how easily we believe other things, things that in in terms of the norm seem a little bit outlandish or beyond, you know? Like there, there, there are people who actually believe, and if you happen to be one of these, then, you know, don't take this personally, but believe that aliens, like, made the pyramids, right? That, uh, that NASA faked the moon landing, or that there's a secret group called the Illuminati that are the puppeteers behind the globe, you know? Or, or that Elvis is still alive. I know people believe that stuff because some of those people are in my family, okay? <laughs> Makes for really interesting dinner conversation. Now, if you believe those things, the point is, it's interesting what people are willing to believe. When it comes to the resurrection, it's like, yeah, can't happen. Even the apostles. That, what is it about this, this thing called resurrection that, that makes it hard for us to believe? Well, one possibility, and a very real possibility, especially in our, our time in which we do not accept supernatural, is that it's a supernatural thing. People just do not come back from the dead. They don't. Maybe in The Walking Dead they come back from the dead, but that's, that's something totally different. No, people don't come back in resurrected form. They never have. So therefore, um, and if your assumption about life is that God does not exist, then you cannot, cannot um, receive a, a, a truth about something supernatural happening. However, if you believe or you have an assumption that God does exist, then certainly the supernatural is possible. And you have room for it to actually be, be true, but... You know, the supernatural nature of it, that's part of it. But I think there's something deeper, honestly. There, there, the, the, the truth, if, 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 if a person is willing to truly accept and believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, it's not a myth, it's not a tale. He actually came out of the grave. That truth is a game changer. Uh, it's, a, it's a history changer. It's a life changer. It's a world-changing truth um, in a way that, you know, Elvis being alive is not, right? If you believe Elvis lives, great. Live with it. Go to Graceland, see if you can get a picture. Not going to affect the world. Neither is the Illuminati. But, listen, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then the implications of it are massive. On the one hand, it means that sin was actually paid for on Friday, it's the way of saying, yep, sin was paid for. My son rose from the dead. If he stayed in the grave, we'd still wonder, was this payment enough? But even more than that, what it, what it, what it says, that he actually rose from the dead. He, he gained victory over it. He conquered it. He stood up against it. He, he dethroned it. Is, uh, is that he is who he says he was. That he really is king. 
He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He's the only one who can overcome death, not only for himself, but also for us. It means at the end of the day that if he rose from the dead as we celebrate him today, then he really is Lord of Lords and demands human submission um, and joyful praise. That's why it's a world-altering truth. And that, I think, people suspect that if I, if I believe this, then that means all the rest comes into it too. And I, that's, that's the truth. You believe Jesus rose from the dead has massive implications for life. And here, they doubt it. For whatever reason, they doubt it. They didn't just doubt the, the message of the women, but as you perceive, kind of fast forward through chapter 24, Jesus appears to them actually physically, and they still don't believe it. Right, you go to the end. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. His, physically, his, his physical appearance is there. Um, but they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit, or we would say, seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and, and why do doubts arise in your heart? I mean, he's physically here. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see, that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you, any, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> right? I, said, I mean, come on. He's physically present. They're afraid. They think he's a ghost, some kind of a phantom. He's like, listen, it's me. I'm here, flesh and blood. Hey, touch me. Right? I got hands, I got feet. And it says they're still disbelieved in a kind of a, could this really be the case? Is this, is this really you? You know, touch. And then, then it's almost, a, again, I, I think it's almost kind of funny. He's like, okay, you still think I'm a phantom. Does anybody here have something to eat? Because I've been in the tomb for three days and I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm being facetious. That's not really, he wasn't hungry in the grave. But you get it. It's like, he's like, listen, it's me. And you know what? That's just, if, if, if resurrection is the final hope of, of Christianity. It's not the disembodiment of, of, of the spirit and going off to some other place. It's not. It's, it's resurrection. It's, it's you becoming you, only perfected and glorified. What you were originally intended to be when God created us as, as material, physical, spiritual people. It's like he came back physically. In our future, there's, there's dancing to be had, there's tasting, and there's eating, and there's drinking, and there's friendships, and there's touching, and there's music to be heard, and there's sunsets to be seen. It's, there's resurrection life um, is, is, is the great hope of the, the Christian faith. And here he's right before them, and notice they, they, they still doubt. <laughs> still doubt. It's me, I'm right here. You know, again, that just tells me, you know, it, we could have all the evidence in front of us. We could have Jesus standing right in front of us, and still, um, that doesn't guarantee that we're going to believe. Uh, the human, human heart is stubborn, and um, the human mind is thick-headed, and I, I, I offer that as, as my confession. i hard-headed. So Jesus, after showing them himself, he points them, interestingly enough, he points them to the Scripture. The ancient Jewish people as well as the Christian people, have believed that the ultimate authority in life is this book. In Jesus' day, they didn't have the New Testament. They just had what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. 
So you know what he does? He goes, listen, guys, the whole of the book that we have that we believe is the highest authority because it reveals God, written over 15 centuries by prophets, um, it t- testifies to me. And he's saying, it's, it's about me, I'm the center. And he says it in two different places in this chapter, a major emphasis. Um, let me just read this for you. You can follow along behind me. He says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, you know, so forth, um, and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the whole of his Old Testament, must be fulfilled. And it's about him. It says, then he opened the minds to understand the scriptures, their Bible, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then he says basically the same thing a little bit earlier in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What he's saying is like you believe in the scripture. I know not everybody believes in the scripture, but if, and if you're one of those, then I encourage you to come back two weeks from now because I want to talk about why you should. Um, but he's saying, listen, this, this book, is, it's all about me. Like, I'm its central subject. And the great accomplishments that I came to do were suffering and resurrecting of death and life to take care of the curse of sin and then give you the blessing of life. That's, that's the, the, the whole of the Bible speaks to me. The center. I'm the center. I'm the subject. I am the hero of the Bible. That's what he's saying. The hero of the Bible. And... As the hero of the Bible, the one who conquers sin and death, he's, he's, um, he's, he's worthy of our trust. I mean, he's the key to everything. He's the key not only to your forgiveness from God, he's the key to your forgiving yourself. He's the key to forgiving others. He's, he's the key to having a real um, life-changing relationship with God. He's the, he's the key to real hope that goes beyond the next vacation. He's the He's the key to real joy that that fills your soul with a sense of I belong to somebody and I'm loved by somebody and that somebody is God because Christ came and won my forgiveness and won my freedom. He's the key to everything. He's key to the future. Uh, The Bible would say that all of creation he's the key to. He is the central hero of the Bible. And if I can just take you back to my pivotal moment when I was pursuing my trying to be the hero of my own story. And that, that, that definitely was what I was trying to do. I was brought to that question, right? All right, Dan, you say you trust me, but you are committed to controlling and managing your world. You want to feel secure because you do certain things, because you've learned certain things, because you're in certain things. Meanwhile, you say that you trust me. Which is it? Am I going to be the hero of my life? Or is the risen Christ going to be the hero of my life and can I actually trust him with my future can I trust him with my present can I trust him with my safety can I trust him with my security can I trust him with my finances can I trust him with my wife can I trust him with my children can I trust him when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death thanks Paul I know some of you who are in here probably have serious suspicions that preachers preach a truth they don't believe, and there's no way I can convince you otherwise. But all I can tell you is that in that moment, um, 
on my squad bay floor, squad bay floor I just, I said, okay, um, I give up. I, I, you know, the fact of the matter is you, you, you actually can't be the hero of your own story. You really can't. And I know some people tried to do it through managing finances and wealth and, and business and, or trying to preserve your own beauty if you happen to be a female and you think somehow you can manage and control all this and maintain your, um, your sense of security. But, you know, you and I both know that's a dead-end street. It is a dead-end street. At some point, I'll be walking with a cane or in a wheelchair. I will not be able to take care of myself. At some point, you're going to lose all the money that you have, if not before death, it at death. It just, I, I am not, I need someone so much bigger than me to trust in than me. And uh, in that moment, it was, just a, it was a surrender. So I, all right, I'm going to trust that you're my good shepherd and that you, um, and that you will guide me to paths of, of fresh water and that you will walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death and I don't have to fear, not because I'm, I'm strong, but because you're strong and your, your rod and your staff, they'll comfort me in the difficult times. And so I am going to trust you as the hero of my story. And, you know, when that happens, it changes you. But, uh, but I want to tell you that I, I didn't come to that decision because I grew up in a Christian family. I didn't come to that decision because I was smart. I didn't come to that decision because I was spiritually sensitive. I came to that decision because God, in a, in a, in a work of like graciousness, helped me to see the truth. Right? He helped me to see it. That, 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 that Jeremiah 17, 5, I'd probably read that a thousand times before. But at this moment, it was a powerful little word, a bullet to my heart to say, this is not the way to live, Dan. And he did the same for the, for the apostles. Do you know that? Um, their, their disbelief. I don't know if you noticed, but just that underlined sentence. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that is to embrace and accept that it's real. That it's real. Like the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is, 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 is real. It's true. And because of that, um, we, don't, we really don't, if we really believe that truth, if it's taken... Um, ownership in our hearts, then we don't have to be afraid of death. That we don't grieve as people who don't believe grieve because we know that death has been conquered. Not just in the future, but he walks with us every moment as we trust him to be the hero of our story. And that that story of, of what he has done is just one of those stories that just it, it breaks into your life and it changes you. And that's the story of the cross. It's the story of the resurrection of Jesus. And more than anything, if you, if you, you actually believe the story, I, I pray that maybe this just reminds you of something you already know and, and encourages you and, and enables you to say, yes, I don't have to be afraid anymore, and I need to trust the Lord more. I don't want to be the hero of my story. I want him to. Or if you've never really allowed the story to, story to sink in to, to realize that ah, this, is, this is something that that I need in my life. I don't know how many of you have read the book Unbroken or seen the movie. Um, I, I said it was a pathetic copy of the book in the first service, and I realized that's a way overstatement. I like the movie. But it left out the best part, right? Um, Louis Zamperini, you know, uh, Olympian, you know, makes it out at sea for how many days, you know, makes it through Japanese POW camps, torture, Unbroken. And you realize at the end of the book, he comes back to the States and he's broken. He's angry. 
He's bitter, twisted up by an inability to forgive his captors, turns to alcohol, which was his hero. And it's not until he goes to a Billy Graham crusade and hears the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus that he's given freedom. Now that is the best part of the story. And it's the power of the story of Christ and what it can do in a life. And you're going to hear or see how people in this room have experienced the life-changing power of the story of Christ in their lives. So they're going to kind of complete this message. Um, so as, as I pray, if I could have the, uh, our musicians come up, um, I want you guys to finish this message. Lord, in these moments that I have, I pray that you would um, convince us through the proof of lives changed that, um, one, you love us, and in that love you have become um, our, our, our hero um, to save us from sin and, and death and also to be with us through life and to preserve us and to, to be our, our, our stronghold and our shield and our deliverer, our rock and our fortress that we, we cannot, Lord, um, save ourselves. Only you can. Only you are strong enough to uh, change and guarantee our future. And I pray that you would just minister to us in this room in a gracious, personal, compelling way this morning. In Christ's name, amen.